0: continue to study the ten Commandments commandment nine today Exodus 20 sixteen has that one sentence statement that is the text I will seek to develop there are many other scriptures we could bring to bear on these commandments or that flesh it out or illustrate it I'm actually reading from a different New Testament supplementary text than the one the bulletin says not the Matthew text I gave you but one I decided on more late in the week that that I believe gives a background and some things that I will speak of in the sermon, Ephesians 4. So if you want to put your finger in Ephesians 4, I'll also read there after reading the command first. The word from God through his servant, the prophet Moses on Mount Sinai, as the Lord revealed this command, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then this supplementary word showing how the truth works out even in the New Testament setting. Ephesians 4, beginning at 15, Paul has referred in the text above that to some false ways in which people deal with one another, and he's contrasting the Christian way and says, rather, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love… We are to grow up in every way into him who is our head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. This is God's Word. Perhaps like me, you have memories uh, of playground days when children would get in that game of one-upsmanship. Somebody would say something and somebody else had to top it. And often I can remember, boys at least, tending to boast about things or make exaggerations that Let's face it, sometimes we're just outright lies. Uh, I date myself a lot, but I remember one boy who claimed that the great Yankee center fielder, believe it or not, I liked the Yankees when I was a child, uh, the Yankee center fielder Mickey Mantle, this boy said, Mickey Mantle is my uncle. Well, somebody thought they could top that, and they said, hey, my father is a personal friend of President Eisenhower. Well, I kind of doubt that either one of those things was a true statement and wonder when somebody would have taken up the playground chorus that maybe you heard when you were a child. Liar, liar, your hair's on fire. What if we all were attached to some kind of lie detection machine as we walked through life? You know, they could make a miniature one that you could carry in a pack on your belt, I suppose, today, and every time you started to say something that really wasn't very accurate or was being twisted or shaded or manipulated somehow from what you knew was true, that little song played out of your pack on your belt, liar, liar, hairs on fire, that wouldn't be much fun, would it? You'd really have to watch how you would speak. I think of a, a time this past summer when confession comes from the pastor. I uh, wasn't completely square with the truth. My wife and I were taking a vacation and we stopped in Cooperstown, New York, a place we've been several times. And uh, we like to stay at bed and breakfast places rather than just regular old generic Motels, And we we check these out, we go online and we research and, you know, you can look at the website and you can see the different rooms and pick out the wallpaper you want at these bed and breakfast places. And we usually have wonderful experiences. Well, somehow we picked out this one in kind of a hurry, Uh, didn't maybe give it the research that we usually do. And from the moment we came up to the place, when we drove up, I said, is this it? You knew we were in for trouble. We went in the room and I said, is this it? We looked in the bathroom where there was a dirty towel on the floor and I said, is this it? We had reserved two nights. Now, here's a true thing. We actually were in a little bit of a hurry to get home. That was our last destination. And although we had two nights and you can't break that on a weekend without paying for it, you know, We were saying, oh, gee, it really would be advantageous if we got home a night earlier. So I went to the owner after we realized we aren't staying in this place more than one night. And I went over to the office talked to the owner. I said, look, I realize they probably have to charge me, but I won't be here tomorrow night. And right away he said, is anything wrong with the room? And I said, "Uh, no, we just need to be home sooner than we thought which was true, but it wasn't the whole truth. Because if I really had told him what I thought, there was a lot wrong with the room. Well, that's pretty innocent, I guess, as shading the truth goes, but maybe just an example of how we decide what the truth is in the moment when we're ready to tell somebody something. Notice the wording of God's command number nine. It's a little bit different than the ones preceding, which are each just simple declarative statements. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Now, this one has some words added. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The Old Testament commentators say, well, it probably was anticipating a kind of courtroom proceeding where you really were coming and legally bearing witness in a a case that might decide a property dispute or something like that. So that could be why it, it's called false witness instead of just don't lie. But the idea of against your neighbor is certainly a strong reminder in this commandment that when we shade the truth, when we tell outright lies, we're almost always affecting someone else. Lies affect all kinds of things, they hurt marriages, they break up parents and children. They pit brother against brother. They shatter careers. They split churches. They ruin a lot of human relationships. There are so many texts I could go to to supplement. I could spend a half an hour simply reading other texts in the scripture that talk about false witness and, and lying and all of this sort of thing. Here are just a couple samples. By the way, the book of Proverbs, it seems like nearly every chapter in Proverbs has something on this subject. But Psalm 52.2 says, your tongue plots destruction like a sharpened razor. Proverbs 6 has a list of six things which that verse says are detestable to God. Two of them are these, a lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-one describes a man whose speech is, quote, smooth as butter while war rages in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. 1 Timothy 4, 2 has this condemnation of, quote, hypocritical liars whose consciences are seared as with a hot iron. I think that's describing people who have lied so long and so habitually that there's a callous on their conscience and they don't even know anymore the difference between a lie and the truth. They simply exchange them freely without knowing what they're doing. The ninth commandment is certainly one of the most frequently violated of all the commands of the Lord from Mount Sinai. We are outraged if a salesman or a con artist misrepresents something or lies to us and we find out we've been cheated. But we don't have the same pangs of conscience when we shape the truth or cut a few corners on it in the way that we talk to other people. The first thing I would bring to you will be my shortest point, but it's just to convince you A little bit about the frequency of lies spoken around us. I think Scripture keeps reminding us in many different ways that lies pollute the water of the goldfish bowl that we swim in every single day. Now, it was Satan who first introduced a lie. You remember Genesis 3? God had spoken. Satan says, did God really say that? I don't think he meant that. And we are made to understand that the evil one assaulted the woman and and planted deception. Later on, Jesus Christ called him the father of lies, the original liar who, when he deceives, is simply plying his stock in trade because deception and mendacity are all that he knows. But then we learn very quickly how we, not just Satan, we learn to lie. First service today, we had a baptism for a beautiful little two-year-old girl. Now, I'm not going to embarrass this family because I'm sure their two-year-old is no different than any other two-year-old, but if any of you have ever dealt with a two-year-old child, taken care of one, been the mother or father of one, you know that they already know how to weigh and evaluate whether to tell the truth or not. Just picture, I don't want to picture the little girl this morning because... uh, I don't want to get her in trouble, but let's, let's take imaginary Johnny. Mom has baked a plate of brownies, put them on the kitchen counter. She went somewhere else for a while to do something. It's one hour before supper. Mom comes back. That plate of brownies doesn't quite look like it had as many brownies on it as it did before. And as a matter of fact, there's a trail of crumbs coming off the edge of the counter, and there's little Johnny nearby. Mom says, Johnny, did you eat any of those brownies that I left on that plate? Now picture this boy. You can see his inner wheels turning in a moment as he thinks, what do I say? Can I get away with this or does she know? And he looks mom in the eye and says, mom, no, not me out of a mouth that's smeared with chocolate and hands that are covered with the evidence as well. Not me, Mom! It doesn't take us very long to learn how to shape the truth or even obscure it completely. Last week when we talked about the commandment against theft, stealing, I said there's a long vocabulary of stealing that we could look into and here again, the vocabulary list is stocked full of things about lying. Falsehood, equivocation, dissembling, deception, half-truths, white lies, whoppers, gossip, flattery, go on and on. Author L. Moler states when he writes on this subject, I'll quote him, he said, in a fallen world, lies come in a variety of packages. Some are big, some are small, some are crude, some are sophisticated, some are quiet, some are loud. But he says the fact is a lying tongue can adapt itself to suit any situation in which it finds itself. And then not only do you have those who who know that something's true and deny it, but you have the whole other crowd in our world today who would say, what do you mean truth? What do you mean lie There's no such thing in either case. There's no absolute truth and there's no absolute lie, says the postmodern worldview. There is no objective truth, they tell us. We just sort of make up reality as we go along. Therefore, nobody should have a problem with the fact that supposedly 50% of all job resumes have some blatant errors or falsifications in them. Why, people are just sort of making up their own reality as they proceed through life. What's wrong with that? One of the fathers of postmodern thinking was Friedrich Nietzsche who said, truth is a movable feast of metaphors. Ah, there's a philosopher's statement for you. Truth is a movable feast of metaphors. Nietzsche said truths are only illusions which people have forgotten are illusions. Well, boy, you begin with that worldview, and you can go just about anywhere. Dishonesty, you see, is woven right into the fabric of our society. Our universities are rife with plagiarism. I don't know how professors correct term papers, research papers anymore because students can can reach out to so many obscure corners of the internet and lift whole items of text and import it as their own work and, boy, you professors have got to be pretty sharp to see what's going on. Politics, wow, often the science of evasion. I ate dinner with an honest politician last night, I can report. There are such people. But you wonder, I watched the president, the new president of Iran, being interviewed by Ann Curry on NBC this week, and he was asked the direct question, what about the development of nuclear weapons in your country? Straight reply from the cleric, Iran is definitely not seeking nuclear weapons. What about all those factories that are making parts for nuclear weapons, sir? how are we supposed to believe you? Despite the fact that the water in our daily goldfish bowl is polluted with lies and deceptions, we have a God who values truth. So I want to say to you, secondly, we learn that honoring the truth according to this commandment depends on having a God who is perfect truth. You probably recall Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate in the many interviews he had before the cross. Pilate was in a position, literally, to be able to take the life of Jesus. And Jesus presented a number of things to him. One of the things he said from John eighteen thirty seven 37 was, I, ca- I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth will listen to me. Now, that's a... A plain and astounding declaration. Jesus was saying, there is eternal truth. I am here to testify of it. And if people learn it and know it, they will stand on my side. Well, Pilate listened to that. And you know how he replied. We don't know the exact tone of his voice. But it was certainly a sneer when he said, what is truth? Pilate was the first postmodern. They hadn't made up the word for it yet, but that was his way of thinking. What's truth? Don't try to tell me there's some kind of objective truth. And yet Romans 3, 4, has Paul write, let God be true even if every man is a liar. Ultimately, the nature of God defines what is true. He's like the master mold from which every fact in the universe is cast out of that mold. Now, there aren't many things that we would ever say God cannot do. But one of them certainly has to be our saying that God cannot lie. He cannot. It's constitutionally, morally, spiritually impossible, according to his character, for God to lie. James 1.17 says it in so many words, in him there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Even as the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man are are poles apart, the truth of God and the falsehood that sin brings in are also poles apart. There's an interesting word in 1 John chapter 5, the very end of that epistle of 1 John. 1 John 5.20, we read this, The Son of God has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. That's God, of course. And we are in him who is true and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, John was saying... God is truth. He's the source of it. He's the gold standard. He's the, he, you know, we talked in, in the new members class this morning about how do we know anything is true? How do, what's our authority for any religious opinion? The Bible is our yardstick. Well, God is the yardstick, ultimately, of truth itself. And so Jesus could come and claim and say, I am the way, the truth, the life. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, and maybe I'm life. The definite article is in the original language, I am the truth. When you hear me, when you hear my Father, when you belong to us, you belong to the truth. God's revelation of himself is the bright light that exposes the dark shadows of every artificial, inauthentic, imagination of man that is not true God in his essential being is the antithesis of everything false we can say that all that God does all that God thinks all that God plans all that God promises all that God reveals is based on and builds upon a bedrock of truth he abhors falsehood he loves integrity He loves those who seek truth in himself and he rewards them. All right, lies are everywhere. God is truth. Those are our first two points. Now, in the third place, what does all this do for us or call us to? Well, thirdly, we say this, that Christians are called to a radical pursuit of truth in the midst of a world of lies. I preached a few weeks ago from two different texts in two weeks on the Bible's view of homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And some of you came. and I thank you. I know you were being complimentary in a sincere way. And you said, oh, pastor, it's so courageous for you to speak that way. Well, I I just want to say to you, it's not false modesty when I'm saying to you, no, it, it really wasn't courageous. I'm not really a courageous person. I don't think it was a courage issue. I think it's a truth issue. And there's a difference. You can can be trembling in your boots and speak the truth and say, I don't have any courage here, but God has said this and I've been called to be his messenger and I cannot change the message. The messenger is not authorized to change the message. Somewhere I read years ago a quote that I've remembered and I don't know who said it. But the quote is, in times... Of universal deceit. The mere act of telling the truth about the smallest thing can be a revolutionary act. In times of universal deceit, the act of telling the truth about the smallest thing can be a revolutionary act. I believe Christians are called to be revolutionaries with the truth. Now, the first thing that involves is to know the doctrine of the Bible. Truth has to be known as it, repre- as it is represented in the teaching, the theology, the total picture doctrine of what the Bible has to say. Some people right away get a little bit upset when we start talking about doctrine and theology. They say, oh, that's the problem with Christianity. You people are all doctrine and theology. That just divides people. Doctrine causes divisions. Just give me Jesus and my Bible. I don't need doctrine. People who say that are absolutely the most dangerous Christians you're ever going to run into. You cannot read the Bible without forming opinions about its doctrines and its theology, the wholeness, the patterns, the principles, the connect-the-dot lines that run all through Scripture. You need to know these things, and you begin to know the truth of what God has revealed, a continuous picture from Genesis to Revelation. You, you find that God has revealed himself, and he hasn't just given generalizations. He hasn't given contradictions, he has given very specific propositions and truths that we are to study somewhat like an archaeologist at a dig, you know. Here's an artifact. We unearth it. We brush it off. We, we measure it. We evaluate it. We see if there's any writing on it. What does it tell us? Well, that's how we study the Bible. By the way, what a rejoicing thing for me as pastor to hear that, that our women's Bible study has almost twice as many women in it this year as we don't know what happened. You just came from everywhere, studying Romans, one of the hard, essential, doctrinal books of the Bible. Congratulations, ladies. Hang in there. Be sure you get all the way through chapter 9. There's a lot in Romans for you to benefit from. We are to study the doctrine of the Scripture as God's truth about himself. Otherwise, we're going to go around inventing a God who's based on our whims, our ideas, a few verses that we've collected here and there that we happen to like, discarding all the ones we don't like, of course. And we'll say, well, here's God. Here's my idea of God. You've heard me say before time but somebody says, my idea of God, boom, 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 you know, the alarm should go off. My idea of God, let's have the Bible's idea of God. Doctrine, theology, tell us who God is, and he's a God of truth. But secondly, once we begin to learn the truth about him from the Scriptures, our next stop is to begin telling the truth to each other as Christian people who are being remade through the Spirit of Christ. And this is where I bring in Ephesians chapter four that I read for you. In the earlier part of Ephesians four, Paul is was writing about people who he says, through quote, cunning and craftiness of men, go about with deceitful scheming. There he is, a world full of lies but he says, no, this isn't what is for the Christian. The opposite must characterize those who've been bought by the blood of Christ and are now indwelt by the Spirit and are new creations of God. So instead, he says, you are to speak the truth in love as you grow up into Christ. And in Ephesians 4.25, he addresses Christians saying, each of you must put away. That involves recognizing it, getting a hold of it, taking it out and removing it, putting away falsehood and speak truthfully to one another for we are members of one body. Now, Paul is saying, if I was to lie about, gossip about, attack with words some other member of Christ's body, I'm really attacking myself. You know, let's say I noticed that there was sort of a burning sensation in, in my one finger and, and something's wrong with this finger. Why is this finger bothering me? Well, it might need me to itch it. And maybe it's got a little cut that got infected. It, it needs some kind of attention. But I can tell you one thing I'm not going to do with this finger is take a meat cleaver and chop it off. But Paul is saying Christians do that to the members of the body of Christ. They attack them with sharp tools called their tongues. And by the way, you might as a homework assignment read James 3 on the tongue as an attendant text to these things. Paul is saying, believers, to belong to Christ is not only to know the truth of doctrine in the Scripture, it's to take the truth of Christ and the Spirit of Christ and be remade by it so that we behave in speech and action towards one another in completely different ways. We must pray and ask the Holy Spirit to filter our speech, to clamp a bit and a bridle on our wayward tongues, our tendency to say sharp things, critical things, sarcastic things. Because conversion to Christ as our Lord means... There's a radical submitting to this process of being remade from the inside out. Now, some people, I'm one of them who's quick to speak. I would fall into the quick to speak category. Some of you are slow to speak. You're blessed. Hopefully, your words are considered a bit before they come out. That's a good thing. But those of us that are more ready with our tongues need to be all the more concerned to say, Holy Spirit, put a guard on my tongue. I always thought it was interesting when Isaiah was called by God in that famous passage of Isaiah 6 and he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, his first reaction upon falling on his face was to say, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling among a people of... I don't think Isaiah was saying, I swear a lot. I think he was saying, I'm a man who says any old thing that comes out. And when I see you, God, the God of truth, I understand what a loose, undisciplined thing my tongue is. Do we need to pray to speak to fellow believers more like lovers than fighters? In times when the world is caught up in universal deceit, telling the truth to one another about even the smallest things can become A revolutionary act. Now, in bringing this subject to a close, I ask you once more to think about the cross of Jesus. I've brought you back to the cross a number of times here in these weeks, looking at these commandments. And it's so easy to do that in relation to this because stop and think a minute how Jesus got on that cross. In order to put him there, even though the whole procedure was basically illegal, they at least wanted a charade that something like a trial was going on, so they got witnesses. Well, where are you going to get witnesses to prove that Jesus has done something wrong? Well, you hire them. And you say, now, you say this when I call on you, and you tell this story, and and you repeat this, and at least there'll be a facade of some kind of conviction. Again, you know Jesus was lied about in his so-called trial, which really was not even a legal trial. And then later on, when he rose bodily, the soldiers came and said, what are we going to do about this fact? Look, the the tomb is open. We don't understand how he got out of there. What are we going to say? They said, here's the story. Tell them this. Don't worry. We'll back you up. They needed lies to counteract the resurrection, just as there were lies to put him on the cross in the first place. Folks, do you know there's no falsehood that can withstand the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? There's no act of deceit that can in any way diminish his resurrection as an act of history. And do you understand that the gospel good news that Jesus Christ is the living Lord who forgives all who come to him and call him their Lord and Savior literally repels lies? You see, the cross means that our dishonesty, our deceptions, my tendency to be selective about what truth I tell the motel owner, and I do it in a lot worse ways, all of that is laid on Christ who perfectly exhibited and obeyed the truth of God. Perfect truth took on my lies, your deceptions. Your selective telling of things to your spouse, perfect truth, took all that on himself, the filthy rags of our falsehoods, until the perfect righteousness of himself became ours. We sang the song, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, I will wear the righteousness of Jesus." In exchange for my lies. Our prayer as Christians ought to be each day Lord, guard my tongue. Lord, make me swift to ask for forgiveness because I probably need to be doing it many times every day. Lord, make me compassionate towards those I'm speaking about. Lord, help me to check facts before I pass on stories and gossip. Lord, in other words, give me what Psalm 51 called truth in my inward parts, truth that goes down deep in me and remakes me so that I'm not just concerned to have good doctrine. Oh, there are people in this world who have impeccable doctrine. If you talk to them about truth, they will say, oh, yes, truth. I love truth. I love theology. My theology is so well perfected, I don't think there's better theology anywhere than mine. But these same people sometimes have those tongues that are like razors that cut people to pieces. Not sufficient to have right doctrine, valuable and vital as that is, if we're destroying brothers left and right in the process. May the knowledge of God's own mind and will from Scripture be something that would shout praise to God. The knowledge that we have of him ought to rise with joyful shouts of song when we worship. But may it also rise in the quiet ways we talk to one another, the ways we try to bless and encourage one another, guide one another, speak truth in genuine love. Because as new creations in Christ, we can know that we are people of truth for one outstanding reason. Our God is true. Amen. Father, here's another great area for us to do some examination. Every one of us probably in the last 24 hours, has somehow reshaped a truth, evaded it, turned it inside out, ignored it, or put the worst cast upon it because it made somebody else look bad who we wanted to look bad. Father, like Isaiah, we are people of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of people with equally unclean lips all around us. But we don't despair because perfect truth came. Perfect truth offered itself in Jesus. Perfect truth is ready to exchange for all our filthiness and all our wasted speech. Forgive us, cleanse us, use us, we pray for your honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.